time with us this morning, uh, that it will be a blessing to you, that it will be an encouragement to you, and uh, you are welcome here anytime. And so we're very glad you're here. Uh, let me also mention that if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, uh, we are a Bible preaching church. We love the Bible, and I want you to see that the most important things being said are the things in, in the, the book itself, and so I want you to have a Bible in front of you. So feel free to use one of those provided in the seats in front of you, and uh, you will find uh, this passage this morning on page 60 in those Bibles. Uh, we're reading this morning from Exodus 19, verses 1 through 8. Uh, Picking up where we left off last week with this passage, but let's read the passage again. So uh, this is the very word of God, Exodus 19, verses 1 through 8. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. And the Lord God called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. So let's remember what we have seen. Three months to the day since Israel left Egypt, they come to the wilderness of Sinai. Uh, They've come to this mountain in order to keep an appointment with Almighty God. Moses climbs the mountain and there God speaks to him. God gives him a message to deliver to Israel, namely that if they will obey his voice and keep his covenant, he will richly bless them. Moses goes down the mountain, he gathers the elders who represent the people, he relays the message, and their response is, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And so Moses goes back up the mountain and he brings to God the reply of the people. Now, last time we began unpacking these important verses through then and now statements. Uh, These are statements about the old covenant that's being established in this chapter. And then the new covenant that we are in if we are Christians, if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I can't go back and walk through everything we went through last Sunday, so the sermon audio will be up this afternoon from last Sunday if you need to go back and listen to that so that you'll have a better understanding of what we covered then. But there are eight then and now statements that I've been giving you about these verses, and we've covered four. So let me mention what those four were. Um, The first was then... When Israel came to Mount Sinai, they came as a people saved by grace and brought by God 
to himself. God had delivered them from Egypt by grace, and he has now brought them to himself. Now, we too, as Christians, have been saved by grace and brought by God to himself. That was the first point we saw. The second point was this. Then, God declared to Israel the terms of their covenant relationship. And now, God declares to us the terms of our covenant relationship. We don't tell God what our relationship with Him is going to look like. Now that He has saved us, He, both by right of being God and by right of being our Redeemer, tells us what this relationship is going to look like. Number three, then God's covenant with Israel promised blessing for obedience, right? Israel, obey my voice and I will bless you. So also now in our new covenant through Jesus Christ, God still promises that if we walk in obedience, we will be blessed. And we saw that in many verses last Sunday. And then finally, fourth, then God's covenant with Israel was not a covenant of works, but a covenant established upon God's grace placing upon Israel the requirement that they now live as a faithful, redeemed people. And that's perhaps the most controversial of the four points, so we spent a good bit of time last week expressing that and showing that from Scripture. Now, God's covenant with us as Christians is not a covenant of works, but a covenant established upon God's grace, placing upon us the requirement that we now live as a faithful, redeemed people people. So Mount Hermon, you, if you are a Christian, have been saved by the grace of God. And just as God rescued Israel wondrously, miraculously from the clutches of Pharaoh in Egypt, you and I have been rescued wondrously and miraculously from the consequences of our sin, the power of sin, the clutches of Satan, an eternity in hell. And we ought to be a people who are praising God for His wondrous grace in Jesus Christ. But now that you've received grace, walk worthy. Now that you've received grace, walk as one who bears the name of God upon you. Do not live as you once lived. God says to Israel, you are now mine. You must put away the way you lived in Egypt. You're going to walk as a new nation. And God says to us as Christians, you can't live the way you used to live. You're a new creation. And you've been called to live as a faithful people, a redeemed people, as a holy people. So now we pick up this morning with our final four statements about then and now. So here we go. This is number five in our list. Then, if Israel had trusted God from the heart, they would have obeyed and been blessed. If the people of Israel had trusted God from the heart, they would have obeyed and been blessed. We're looking at how this covenant with God, which Israel is about to make here at this mountain, how is that covenant going to work out for them? God promises here that he will bless them if they will obey him. And the elders have said, all that God says, we will do. And the whole rest of the Old Testament shows 
that they don't. The whole rest of the Old Testament as well as the four Gospels show that Israel did not live in obedience to God. National Israel as a whole lived in continued and persistent and often outrageous disobedience. Israel did not faithfully keep even one of the Ten Commandments that God is about to give them. Why? Why was obedience so hard for the nation of Israel? Because true obedience comes from the heart. Faith, a real love for God and a real trust in God is what motivates obedience. And though Israel had more reason than any nation in the world to trust her God, she did not. We go back to Genesis and we read about Israel's forefather, Abraham. And we're told in Genesis 15 verse 6 that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was faith that made the difference for Abraham. Now, Abraham's life was full of fits and starts. One minute he's obeying God faithfully. The next he's lying about his wife or sleeping with his handmaiden. But over time, as you read through Genesis, you see Abraham's faith deepen. And as he learns through trials how to trust God, his obedience becomes more and more steadfast, ultimately culminating in Genesis 22 and his almost sacrifice of his son Isaac. Why? Why did Abraham become an obedient servant of God? Because he grew in his faith. It was his trust in God that made the difference. He trusted him so much that by the time he's commanded to sacrifice Isaac, he really believes, look, God told me he's going to give me descendants through Isaac. And even if I now sacrifice Isaac, God has the power to raise him right back up from the dead. I know my God will keep his promise. In Romans 9, 31 and 32, the apostle Paul reproaches Israel. And he says that what they did was they misused the law of God. And listen to what he says. This is really important and many Christians missed this. Paul says about Israel, they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. And the it there is the law of God, the righteousness that comes through obedience. And Paul says they missed the point. God's commands were given to Israel not for them to perform in their own strength. Rather, God's commands were given to Israel so that through faith in God, as they trusted Him, God's grace would be at work to bring about obedience in them. The law was always meant to be performed in faith. The, the good works of Israel were to be an expression of their love for God and their trust in God. And so, it's no surprise that when God sends prophets to get the attention of Israel and to remind them of their covenant, the issue always seems to be the heart. Often the people of God were obeying Him in external ways. But that obedience wasn't accepted. God was not calling Israel to an external conformity to His will. He wanted their hearts. And so God says in Isaiah 29 verse 13, This people draw near me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. 
the Israelites took the advice of all the Disney movies, and they followed their own hearts, but their hearts were not leading them towards God. Their hearts led them away from God. Jeremiah 9, verse 14, Jeremiah comes and says about Israel, They have stubbornly followed their own hearts and have gone after the Baals as their fathers taught them. So why did Israel go after the Baals and forsake the one true God? They were following their own hearts. Their hearts were not full of God. Their hearts were not set on God. Their hearts were not overwhelmed with love for God and trusting God. God is the most worthy being in the universe. He is worthy of all our love and affection and allegiance. But when He doesn't have our hearts, we will not obey. When He doesn't have our hearts, we will not be faithful. Israel failed to experience the promises of the covenant made here at Mount Sinai because they did not have a heart of faith. And therefore they lived in disobedience. And what about now? Now, if we trust God from the heart, we will obey and we will be blessed. Friends, at the bottom of every struggle that you have with sin is this issue. Do you trust God in that matter? Do you trust God in that circumstance? In the face of that temptation, do you believe His word over what your own mind is telling you, your own flesh is telling you, the world around you is telling you, the devil's whispering in your ear? Do you believe God's word above all of that? That will determine how you fare in your battle against sin. I want to say that ugly thing. I just, just right on the tip of my tongue, I want to say that ugly thing. But God says to be slow to speak and slow to become angry. Do I trust him or do I follow my flesh? I I want to look at that image on my computer screen. But I know that I I shouldn't look at it. My, My body says yes, but my God says no. Who has my heart? Who do I trust most in that moment? Myself or my God? That will determine whether I obey or disobey. The more your heart rejoices in the amazing grace and the boundless love and the tender care of your God for you, the more you will find the will to obey. There's a reason God begins this covenant not by saying, Israel, do this and don't do that. He begins the covenant by saying, Israel, I am your redeemer. I have rescued you. I have borne you up on eagles' wings. Look at my love for you. Look at my grace. It is only when they get that that the obedience becomes natural. What was duty becomes delight. When we trust God, we learn to say no to the things He has taught us are bad for us. And we learn to say yes to the things He has taught us are the way of blessing. We trust Him. We trust His fatherly care. We trust His wisdom. We trust His knowledge. And therefore, it becomes our joy to obey. Let me just ask you. Are you having a disobedience problem in your relationship with God? Are you having a disobedience problem in your relationship with God? If so, the solution is not try harder. The solution is trust more. Rejoice more in God. 
Believe more deeply in who He is and what He has done for you and let the glory of God transform you so that you become more obedient. Number six. Number six. Then, Old Covenant Israel did not trust God from the heart and ultimately apostatized. Apostatized. They did not trust God from the heart and they ultimately apostatized. So, do you know this word apostasy? It doesn't get used much in our culture anymore. Apostasy is when someone loses their relationship with God. Apostasy is when someone in a covenant relationship with God does something so severe that it violates the covenant and the covenant ends. And the relationship with God is over. Even as we are here at the beginning of God's covenant with national Israel, we know the end of the story. This old covenant is not going to last. And Israel is going to apostatize. From the very beginning, the Israelites are living in disobedience to God. And He's so patient with them. Already, since they left Egypt till they made it to the mountain, we've been watching them disobey and God be gracious. Them disobey and God be gracious. Them disobey and God be gracious. He is being so patient. And for hundreds of years in the future, after Exodus 19, as Israel disobeys and disobeys and disobeys, God continues to be gracious. He continues to raise up judges to deliver them and leaders to care for them. And He, he seeks to, to, to be faithful to the covenant Even when he eventually brings the Assyrians and the Babylonians as a form of judgment upon Israel, the covenant isn't yet over. The prophets come saying, this is a severe discipline, but wake up, trust your God, love your God, and you can have your relationship with God restored. Certainly the greatest wake-up call for Israel was when the Babylonians came into Jerusalem and destroyed the temple where God's holy presence dwelt. The the temple was the center of Israel's relationship with God, and by the foreordination of God, that temple was destroyed. And the Ark of the Covenant, that box where God's Word was kept and where His presence dwelt above the mercy seat, it it was taken away, never to be heard from again. And this was God saying to Israel, Israel, repent. Israel, come back to the God who redeemed you out of Egypt. Come back to the God who established you as a nation and made you precious promises. Yes, you've committed unbelievably heinous sins, even the sacrifice of your children to pagan gods. But I will be merciful if you will just repent. And yet even after the exile is over, even after a new, somewhat lesser temple is rebuilt, the nation continues to live in disobedience. And then comes the climax of their disobedience. When the very Messiah comes to earth and walks among the people of Israel and rather than embrace Him, they kill Him. Every sacrifice, every priest, every tabernacle and temple, the moral law, all of it pointed to this promised Messiah. 
Jesus told the Jews in his day, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But the hearts of the people of Israel remained hardened in their sin and in their disobedience, even to the point of crucifying the Son of God. And with the cross, Israel's apostasy was complete. And the old covenant became no more. And in 70 AD, the temple was utterly destroyed, this time never to be rebuilt. Ancient Israel ceased to exist as an organized nation. The covenant that starts out with glory here at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, and we're going to see the earthquake and the lightning and the booming voice. It's all right in front of us in these verses. It begins in such glory, it's going to end in catastrophe. Hosea had prophesied that this was going to happen. Paul hits it hard in Romans 9. God had said through Hosea that a day was coming when those who were called God's people would now be called not my people. You do understand that national Israel is no longer the people of God. The old covenant is over. Old covenant Israel did not trust God from the heart and they ultimately apostatized. Now hear the good news. Because we've seen so many ways in which the Old and the New Covenants are similar. They are alike in many ways. But here is what makes the New Covenant new. God's New Covenant people do trust God from the heart and they can never apostatize. God's New Covenant people Those who know Him through faith in Jesus Christ do trust God from the heart and they can never apostatize the way Old Testament Israel did. The great change from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, and by the way, that is what the word testament means in your Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. Old Covenant, New Covenant. Your Bible is built on this structure of the two covenants. The great change from the Old Covenant to the new covenant is that in the old covenant, God's law was written on stone. But in the new covenant, God's law is written on people's hearts. The Spirit gives people faith so that they obey from the heart. Jeremiah 31, 33, God says, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you, and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh that is a heart that's sensitive to the things of God, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. That was the the promise that the prophets brought to Israel. That a day is coming when there will be a people who know God and trust Him in the heart and therefore they obey. We come to the New Testament. Paul says in Romans 1 verse 5, We have received grace and apostleship, listen, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among the nations. The obedience of faith. In other words, Paul says that he and his fellow apostles have a mission. And that mission is not to bring about a kind of external, superficial obedience like Israel sometimes had in the past. 
No, their mission was to preach the gospel. And that as the gospel was preached, hearts would be changed. And what would be the result of these changed hearts? An obedience that comes from faith. An obedience that springs up naturally from a heart that trusts God. Now don't get your covenants confused. God had promised Abraham in an earlier covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, that he would have descendants who truly knew God and who were blessed by God. And even as national Israel apostatized and lived in disobedience, there was always a remnant within Old Testament Israel who really did have the Spirit of God within them, who were seeking to be faithful to God in the heart. They were a minority, but there were new covenant type people in Old Covenant Israel. But now the new covenant has come to its fullest fruition. And Jesus is saving people from all over the world who are coming to be obedient to God because God has won their hearts. They have been won by the message of His mercy and His love. And what does John 14, 15 say? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Are there lovers of Jesus in this room this morning? Are there people in this room who have had their hearts won by the grace of God and what He did for you at the cross of Jesus? And if you love Jesus, is it not true that you will keep His commandments? Lovers of Jesus are new covenant people, spirit-indwelt people, law-written-on-the-heart people. And they're not perfect. And their struggles are real. And sometimes sin gives us a bloody nose or worse. But there is a genuine difference between born-again Christians and the rest of the world. And one of those genuine differences between born-again Christians and the rest of the world is this. Born-again Christians really do follow Jesus. Not just with lips, but with lives. And these new covenant people will never apostatize. Listen to what Jeremiah promised. This is wonderful. Jeremiah 32 verse 40. God says, I will make with them, his new covenant people, I will make with them an everlasting covenant. This is different than the old covenant. Old covenant, not everlasting. Jeremiah says, I will make with my new covenant people an everlasting covenant. I will not turn away from doing good to them. Listen, I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. In other words, God says, I'm going to do something gracious for these new covenant people. I am going to put my fear into them. That is, they're going to have such a, a reverence for me, a holy respect for me, a honoring of me that is instilled in their souls that they will not ultimately turn away from me. Both the Old and New Covenants were established by the acts of a gracious, saving God. Both the Old and New Covenants call God's people to walk in holiness. Both the Old and New Covenants call for forgiveness when we fail. They offer forgiveness when we fail but urge us to walk worthy of the free salvation we've been given. All of these ways, the two covenants are similar. But only in our New Testament, only in the new covenant, 
do we find the law of God written on the hearts of God's people in such a way that they will not ultimately turn away from him? Only in the new covenant does God promise to keep his people saved, to keep them believing, to be their God and they his people forever. The old covenant was a temporal covenant. It was read again in Sunday school this morning. This covenant is over, says Paul in 2 Corinthians 3. The old covenant could not last, but the new covenant will last forever. I know this language is strange because we don't talk about covenants much outside of church. So I hope, I hope you understand what I've been saying. Maybe it will help if I ask you this. Are you a new covenant person this morning? Have you believed in the good news of Jesus Christ crucified for sinners? Have you been born again by the Spirit of God and given a heart that truly not just trusts God but delights in God? Are you living in the confidence that God is keeping you saved? That He is sustaining your faith? He didn't just give you saving faith at the beginning and then say, all right, it's up to you to keep it going. No, that God is daily sustaining your faith. His mercies are new every morning. He is keeping you believing until the day you die or Jesus comes back, whichever comes first. The old covenant was a wondrous gift of grace to the people of Israel. But the new covenant is so much higher and so much grander and so much more glorious. All right, we're going to move a bit more quickly now. Number seven, number seven. The old covenant came to Israel through a mediator. The old covenant came to Israel through a mediator. And we see that as Moses gets his exercise in this chapter. Up and down the mountain, up and down the mountain, up and down the mountain. We see Moses going. It was, well... Mount Sinai was a bit like Eden. God's special presence dwelt at the top of the mountain. Sinful Israel could not be in the presence of the holy God. But God chose one man, a man of faith, a man counted righteous by faith, Moses, to be the mediator, the go-between, between holy God and sinful Israel. So he goes up and down, he goes up and down, and he speaks for for God to Israel, and he speaks for Israel to God, and through Moses the mediator, the two are brought together into a covenant relationship. And now in our day, the new covenant has also come to us through a mediator. The book of Hebrews has so much to say about this. Uh, We learned that Moses was a wonderful man of God, but someone even greater than Moses has now come. Jesus Christ is the mediator of a better covenant. Moses went up and down the mountain between God and man, but that was just a picture of what would happen when Jesus himself would come down from God to speak to us and ultimately to die for us. And now he's gone back up to God in his ascension where he is interceding for us before the Father. And he's going to come back one more time. Jesus is the go-between uniting a holy God with sinful men through his cross. Paul told Timothy, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. Do you want to know how to have a precious precious covenant relationship with God? 
you must go through a mediator. You must go through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Just as God appointed Moses as the mediator to establish the covenant between Him and Israel, God appointed His divine Son, Jesus Christ, to establish His everlasting covenant between Him and His true Israel, all whom God has chosen to be redeemed from every tongue, tribe, nation, And of course, Jesus is the ultimate mediator because he is both divine and human. He brings God and man together in his very self. Through his cross, our sins are forgiven. God's righteous wrath is fully quenched. And a relationship of love and unity is formed. Mount Hermon, how we should praise God for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so finally, number eight. Number eight. Then Israel agreed to the old covenant without counting the cost. Israel agreed to the old covenant without counting the cost. That's how I see it. I don't want to be unfair to Israel here. Frankly, Moses comes down out from the mountain with a message from God. Israel, I've borne you on eagle's wings. You are mine. Now if you will obey me, you will be my treasured possession. Would any of us said, uh, thanks God, but no thanks? Would any of us in that situation have said, no God, we don't want that covenant? Uh, refusing this covenant with God would have simply been to choose the same fate as all the other pagan nations of the world. Had Israel refused this covenant, they would not have had God's special presence. They would not have had the opportunity for God's special blessings. They would not have had the truths that God was revealing to Israel while the rest of the world was walking in ignorance. But it is striking to me that in verse 8, Israel seems so quick to enter into this covenant and with such presumptuous words. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. He hasn't even given them the commandments yet. They don't even yet know what it is that they're promising to do. And so far, since they've left Egypt, they've done nothing but grumble against God and groan against God and fail to trust God and act in disobedience. And now, as if they're not even considering the consequences in a rash way. You see if it reads that way to you. But it seems to me like there's a little pride, a little presumption here. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And I don't know that we would have done any different if we were there. But now, all who would have covenant with God through Jesus Christ must count the cost. All who would have covenant with God through Jesus Christ must count the cost. Friends, a relationship with God is truly a good thing. It is the best thing. It is that to which everything else is considered rubbish. There is nothing higher than knowing God. But entering into a covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ is not something to rush into. You must count the cost. In Luke 14, we read that great crowds were following Jesus. In fact, at that moment in Jesus' ministry, he was something of a celebrity. He had lots of fans following him all around the hills of Galilee. 
And yet on one occasion, when this large crowd was all around him, Jesus said this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and he was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and he asks for terms of peace. Jesus says, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. (laughs) Salvation is absolutely free. And yet, it does cost you everything. Following Jesus costs everything. Your family may turn against you. Your friends may forsake you. You may have many troubles in this world on account of your allegiance to Jesus. You will certainly have to turn against your own flesh. You will certainly have to learn, and it is painful, how to submit your will to the will of Christ. So count the cost. Are you willing to lose all things in order to have Christ? Are you willing to bear all kinds of suffering that God might choose to bring your way in order to have a relationship with Him? How much is God worth to you? How valuable is He to you? And what price would be too steep for you to have Him? Of course, if you have everything in this world and you don't have God, you have nothing. And if you have nothing but you have God, you have everything. So I end this morning with an invitation. God extended a covenant to Israel in Exodus 19. And He extends a covenant offer to you. Here are the terms. He loves you. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. And if you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and turn against your sins and seek to follow Him, then your sins will all be forgiven and God will adopt you as His child and He will bring you into heaven. Following Christ won't always be easy and you should count the cost. It will be required of you that you seek to live as a faithful, redeemed person. But God's Spirit will be at work within you And you will be astounded at the boundless love of God for you and how He can make your duty turn to delight. At the end of the day, your righteousness before God will not be your own. Your righteousness before God will only be the perfect righteousness of Christ accomplished for you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe. That's the term. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will have eternal life.
So entrust yourself to Christ and know what it is to live in a new covenant relationship with God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.